Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, comrades and compañeros, welcome to another episode of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is, you think I'm going to say the weekly rhetorical assault thing? Uh, no, this is a paid episode for paid subscribers that I'm giving to everyone because I'm feeling incredibly generous and because this is something we recorded and we here being myself, Michael Moynihan, and Camille Foster that we recorded with our friends at FIRE at a student conference devoted to free speech this summer. This was a little thing we recorded with students who um, asked some questions and uh, we talked a bit on stage and it was really fun. And usually stuff like this would be behind the paywall but not this time. So we're going to release it to everybody. And I will also even allow all of you scumbags who don't pay to comment on this one. I'll allow the comments for everybody. We typically just allow the nutbags who uh, pay to, co to comment. So go over there and say all sorts of horrible things. Yeah, but please don't actually, you know, just be nice, be nice. One other thing before we start, very brief thing. Last year, all of you listeners were the most amazingly generous people when my lovely, beautiful, unbelievably talented daughter, Livia, was raising money for pediatric cancer research at Memorial Sloan Kettering. And this is something the entire team does. Um, and last year, you guys blew it out of the water. It was so crazy. And she was so happy and impressed. So they do it every year. And all the money, all of it goes to to uh, Sloan Kettering, and uh, she's uh, super proud of this. So the link is in the show description, and uh, go over there and uh, throw a few dollars. To we don't get any of it, by the way. <laughs> this, this actually goes to Memorial Sloan. It's a tax write-off. You don't. It's not about me. Um, it's about my beautiful um, daughter, who is the greatest person alive. So if you want to do that, that'd be great. If you don't, I'm not mad at you. So we love you all. So here's Camille and I at the University of Pennsylvania with an introduction from Fire's president, CEO, Grand Poobah, whatever you call him, Greg Lukianoff in us interacting with some students. So enjoy and go over to wethefifth.substack.com and subscribe because in the future, I'm keeping this one. We, we, we know of new methods of Hello. attack. Everybody, stop networking. So I hope you guys had a good day today. Um, I hope you learned a lot of stuff. I hope it was uh, uh, fun. I hope you had fun at the same time. Um, I realized yesterday that while I spent so much time talking about how handsome and sexy Michael and Camille are, um, I didn't do a lot of, uh, to actually introduce them as people and, and, their, uh, and, and their accomplishments. Um, so when we start, I would like them to actually do a little bit more of introducing themselves. Um, one story that I think you guys uh, may know, but I actually bet a lot of you don't, is how many people remember someone named Jonah Lair? Um, yeah. So Joan, not too many of you, and there's a reason for that. There, there was about four of them. There, uh, and there's a reason why a lot of you haven't heard of him. He was a really big deal, maybe, what, 15 years ago, 10 years ago? Yeah. Um, he, he was a science writer who was just incredibly prolific. I couldn't understand how this guy at such a young age could crank out so many well-researched, deep articles um, and books uh, on on so many different topics. And I read his book, Imagine, as soon as it came out, it was about the science of creativity, and there was a line in it. Um, I am a heretic in that I've never been a very big fan of Bob Dylan, um, partially because of the movie Don't Look Back, where I think he just looked like a jackass. 
Um, but in the, in the course of that, um, he says that he get, has a quote from Bob Dylan, which Bob Dylan basically says, yeah, my lyrics don't really mean anything. Um, I just kind of make them up. And I'm like, what? Like, that's a quote that exists? You know, that, that, how could that be? Uh, yeah. And so, and to be clear, Joan Allaire was the, one of the biggest best-selling authors. He was a phenom at the time. And Michael Monahan here, as a good reporter for Vice at the time, you, were you at Vice when? when oh, oh, you weren't at Vice at the time. So Michael, um, uh, Michael decided to really dig into this, and it's a, it's a, it's an amazing story of all the evasions Joan Allaire tr- uh, tried to pull to get away with the fact that yeah, he just made that up, and it was something that led to revealing the fact that you know how he was able to produce this unbelievably large amount of content by making a fair amount of it up. Um, so I'd, I'd like both Camille and uh, uh, before we get to questions, because usually when we do this, uh, when we do the event last night, we actually do incorporate a lot more student questions. So we're thinking about actually instead doing that yeah. tonight. But I would like to begin with uh, if you guys could tell you, you're, uh, tell the audience a little bit more about yourselves, you know, where Camille? you come from, what your background is. Um, just to, to, so we can all we can all get to know each other. Well, I'm, <laughs> I, I want you to tell a little bit more about the General Lair. No, you no one wants to hear. I do. I do. I want to hear about the it's a I want great them case. to hear no, about do, what it was like when you it. actually sat down together after the story, um, after he knew the story was coming. He said, is there anything that I can do? to get this genie back in the bottle. And I said, I don't think so. My <laughs> editors know about this. And he's like, you know, there's nothing I can do? At, at this now, point, his hand to, is on Moynihan's leg. To, to Greg's, up. yeah, yeah. To Greg's point, um, when I told him that this was going to be published, he was in the, uh, about to give a speech in St. Louis, I think. And um, he panicked. And uh, then when, when I confronted him with the actual evidence... He, he did the best thing I've ever, one of my favorite things of all times, is he lied in his confession, which showed like a real sort of diseased mind. And, but it's not the only time I've done it. I've, I've, I've ruined the lives of about four journalists at this point. <laughs> I don't mean to, I feel really bad about it. But you know, you might notice as students, you know, people tend to forget this when they leave the university, that when you dig into people's writings and look at the footnotes, I mean, it's mostly bullshit, but 90% of it's bullshit. And, you know, footnotes don't mean anything unless they're tied to something that actually, you know, relates to what you're saying. It was always a thing Ann Coulter would say. Um, I've interviewed her a number of times. She would say, you know, my book has, you know, 8,000 footnotes. I was like, who fucking cares? They could, they could be to anything. And that's what one often finds, and I used to find that. I found this again um, in a piece that I'm doing now. Um, a great book, a book that I really enjoyed from about 20 years ago. Um, a lot of it is made up, and it's really disappointing. I can't tell you, but I will. <laughs> I will. I really like the person who wrote it, but it's like, I'm not going to hold back on this. But that's, my background is, as a journalist, um, I was a print journalist for a long time, and then um, when I was given the opportunity to do television journalism, uh, which is uh, the easiest thing in the world, so don't let anyone ever tell you that it's an actual job. And then Vice decided that it was going to abscond with all of its profits and go bankrupt, which I'm sure some of you have seen, which there is a direct relationship between the bankruptcy and the bankruptcy of the content on Vice's website, which is insufferable. And I made myself very quickly persona non grata inside Vice because I'd been there for a long time. And it was replaced by a bunch of people like you, 
recent students. They came in and they just ruined the culture of vice. And I'm assuming you guys are like the good ones because you're sensible enough to come here. But so that, that is part of my background. Um, and Camille and I have been doing the fifth column along with Matt Welch, not Matt Walsh. This happens quite, quite often. He's very upset about this. Um, he doesn't understand what a woman is for totally different reasons. Um, but Matt Welch, who is not here, we don't know where he is. But he's, we don't know where he is. But we've been doing this podcast since um, uh, 2016. Jesus Christ, Obama was president when we started this podcast. And um, it's been, you know, a, a great success. And it's been sort of our lives ever since. So, and we thankfully have great benefactors and fans like the wonderful Greg Lukianoff and the people at FIRE. So that's how we got here, and that's why we're talking to you now. But we're also very clever and very interesting, so you'll find that out soon. Yes, and, and attractive. Yeah. Um, I, I always kind of freeze up a little bit when I'm, I'm asked to do the thing where I have to give my, bio, my biography, because professionally it's weird and strange. I uh, started a media, not a media company, a telecommunications consulting firm while I was an undergrad at University of Maryland College Park. So after my second year there, where I started as a biochemistry major and eventually became a government and economics double major, um, I decided I was no longer going to go full time. I was going to take two or three classes at a time. And we were running this telecom consulting firm out of uh, a house, this townhouse in Bladensburg, Maryland. And we did this for almost a decade. It took me about eight years total to complete my undergraduate education at that very slow, incremental pace. Um, but it was a very, very fruitful experience, fruitful in the sense that I made a decent amount of change, um, but also fruitful in the sense that I got to take a more leisurely approach to my education. Um, and I actually had an opportunity to, to kind of fall in love with the subjects that I was actually studying. So I was doing a tremendous amount of reading, extracurricular reading about exactly the same subjects. And very soon I discovered I'm like the old man in all of my classes, not friends with anyone on campus anymore. Um, you know, driving my $150,000 Mercedes to school <laughs> um, to go to class and then leave uh, uh, right afterwards. It took you eight years? Um, it took me eight years total. I to no finish. idea. Yeah. But I mean, again, two classes at a time. You did finish. It takes you a while. I did. Okay. They sent the diploma. The, the way I found You're out, not I like finished. The, they sent like the diploma the, the in the Jamaican mail. You're not like the Jamaican Jonah Lehrer, are you? <laughs> no. Maybe. <laughs> Everything about you is why. <laughs> One word yeah. of warning as well. If you, re if you write, um, Moynihan, one of the things I most admire about him is he's exceptionally well-read, but he also has this preposterous power of recollection. The way that he finds these people who are writing terrible things, and he actually feels a bit sad about it. He gets a bit broken up. Um, because it's, it's hard to, to out someone and sort of ruin their lives, Moynihan. Yeah. Um, is, is he just I mean, he recognizes, life, he recognizes changes in the sort of cadence of the pattern of the writing, and just something goes off, is that this doesn't fit with that. This weird. And he will go out and find the sort of sources. And when he I found this, one recently. Yeah. yeah. When like he a does whole this book, stuff. There was a cut and paste job. 
I know. You'll you know. never guess. You won't guess. You'll never guess. They, I'd probably reveal it because I don't really like this person. So <laughs> if this person was exposed, I'd be like, you know what? Fuck you. But <laughs> like, you make way too much money to be a total fraud. So that'll give you kind of a hint, But he's but. not just Googling passages of text. No, people used to ask me, what is the software that you use? Like, yeah. I don't, is there software? <laughs> like, I don't use software. There are ways of doing it yeah. when you see pattern recognitions, but there are just ways of doing it and finding it very quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's so frequent, it's so crazy. I mean, I just cannot get over how frequently people um, cheat. And look, I mean, as a journalist, and like I, this is probably the same as being a student too. I mean, if you're turning in, if you're doing, doing an enormous amount of work on, you know, a dissertation or something, and you find out that somebody's cut you in the line and done very well in their dissertation, and the whole thing has been borrowed from somebody else, you're just annoyed by it. It's like journalism is really, really hard. That's why I say TV is so easy. Nobody likes writing. The people who say that they like writing are liars. And, you know, there was the old wag who once said, and this is the tense change that's important, is nobody likes writing, everybody likes having written. The product is incredible. I'm like, oh, that was fucking easy. I love this. And I was like, oh my God, that was the most painful thing. And I pain over every line. A newspaper just asked me um, yesterday if I could write something for them. They said, do you want to write regularly for us? And, the, and I said, well, we'll see, you know, payment, whatever. And, and they said, how fast do you write? And that's when I'm like, I put the phone down. I'm like, I don't, I don't write fast. Because writing is awful and everything about, and that is when people have the instinct to cheat. And there's so much of it. And in the age of the internet where it's much easier to cheat, it's also much easier to get caught. Yet they often don't get caught. So I find, I find it, you know, a couple times a month. But I'm getting we're getting off yeah. topic here. And, and I'll, I'll quickly wrap this up. So but it's an interesting talk. after after, you know, 10 odd years of doing this, um, I decided because I was in close proximity to D.C., I would just go into D.C., find some nonprofit organization that seemed to align with my now very strange politics, which had evolved from me being a kind of conventional left of center person. Um, to a weird, radical, anarcho-capitalist libertarian. Some of you may actually know what that is. There's nothing wrong with being left of center, or right of center for that matter, apart from being wrong about various things. Um, but I, I was happy to upgrade my beliefs, to, to find, to something to find totally, an organization that I could do some work with. I found my way to organizations like Reason, where Moynihan was actually working I worked for a little bit, yeah. Um, and yeah. eventually did a couple of different things. I founded a media company called Freethink, uh, along with some friends. I got a weird job at Fox Business where I was uh, hosting a television show for them uh, four nights a week, um, which was very strange, but it was an important educational experience. You get very close to the, the media business and you discover very quickly how the sausage is made. And it turns really, your stomach. It's really and you ugly. turn into a vegetarian. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I... Yeah. I loathe uh, political journalism. I loathe cable news. I think they're both generally yeah. bad for you. So I have a podcast where we talk yeah. about these things and skewer it. And yet they still invite us on, which is really funny. Yeah. Like you'd be at one night, you'd be like, these people at CNN seem to all have mental health problems. <laughs> and like 20 minutes later, like, can you come on tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, sure. All right. I got nothing else to do. Although we all should right. say, we should say there are good people. There are good people everywhere. All of these companies. This, you say that and it covers you? Yeah. They're not, CNN, actually. But there's, you just say that true. and they're like, all right, cool. I have not friends about you. at CNN and MSC, yeah. NBC and Fox News. I have friends at all of those places. Newsmax, not so much. I don't know what's going on over there. Um, OAN? Yeah, no, actually. <laughs> No, people, people I know who are there, but I Goodness don't, wouldn't say we're friends. Yeah. Um, but what we want to do yeah. tonight, um, 
And we talked to Greg about this, and I was happy that Greg said, um, yes, we want more of this, is interaction with you guys. Mm -hmm. Because I'm very interested in the kind of temperature on campus these days. Now, obviously, this is kind of a self-selected group. They're the type of people that would come to a fire event. Maybe some of you are just fire curious and don't know if you're going to support fire in the long run. So I suppose there's some kind of overlap on a civil liberties free speech thing. But I'd love to know, you know, a lot of, just any of you, broadly, and we'll get more specific with questions, like what it is like on the campus today. Because you guys are in an experience, or going through an experience, that is a political football for the rest of us. We just talk about it. We don't actually go on campus. I mean, you do. But the rest of us are like, ah, oh, these complete psychos on campus. And then you just read some things, and then you go on to the next story. So it'd be really interesting to know from in the belly of the beast, I mean, if things, as Greg said last night, you guys don't have a point of reference, I suppose, but are as bad as they've ever been, or you, they strike you as particularly bad. And as I said when we started last night, I, I, fire events in the past are, are so, not even bi, but multi-partisan. I mean, I meet people who have worldviews. I mean, Greg is a Democrat. He's the liberal guy. And people are like, wait, no, but you're always defending, you know, sort of like Milo Yiannopoulos, is right to speak. And it's like, well, in campus, they're going to get more shit than people that align with Greg. So he's going to be defending them probably more. And that is the thing that, you know, somebody I spoke to last night said, you know, when I was introduced to FIRE, I don't remember who it was, that they thought it was, well, it must be some sort of conservative group. And then they hung around, they're like, oh, that's not a conservative group. It's just a bunch of people who have principles. And this is one very narrow principle of free speech. And, and unfortunately, the kind of conversation about free speech is narrowed too. So... Um, shall we just get into it, Camille? Should we just talk to people about certain things? Yeah. So there's a microphone going around the room. Is there? Um, and I believe there's so. A microphone, there's a microphone, there's a microphone that microphone will man. go around the room. Yeah, microphone um, man. So if you there. raise your hand, someone will come to you. But we'd love to hear about your perspective uh, with respect to how things are on campus. I know some of you are actually going to school in the fall. And oh, God, attended you poor yet, fuckers. Is, <laughs> so bad. Um, just stop now. But if you're there, I want to know, what is it like? Can you speak freely? Are you concerned about these issues? Um, hi, uh, my name's Bruce and I go to Rutgers University. I feel like, honestly, college campuses kind of remind me of like a, a live social media where you have a, a very vocal set of kids that speak for the rest of the kids that don't actually accurately represent the rest of the yeah. population. Um, I know uh, in one of my classes, um, we would some of us would stay after class and uh, talk about controversial issues and stuff of that nature. And when we would do that, I would find out that like there's like conservatives all throughout college. They're mm -hmm. just not speaking because they're afraid. Or there's like libertarians and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I think that the overall censorship isn't actually something that's like policy i think it's culture mm. i think the culture of college is very um toxic and you're not allowed to talk about these things but yeah yeah that strikes me as um i had an example of this the other day um in 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 this is true i um was standing on the street in brooklyn in bed -Stuy, 
And a guy came over to me, um, and he just started talking to me, asked me a, a question, and we started talking about a whole bunch of different issues. And he said, you know, I ran for state senate in 2000, I think 2020 or something. And we ended up getting this, this, this long conversation. He's probably like a 50, 55-year-old uh, black guy, lives in the neighborhood, and we're just talking about neighborhood politics. And he's a Democrat. Um, I looked him up later, by the way, and he's had a totally insane career where he was in the Nation of Islam and had you know, some controversial things in the past. Um, and he said, you know, it's really funny because there's people like you in the neighborhood now. And he meant like, you know, sort of middle class, upper middle class white people. Bed-Stuy was, was almost, you know, 95% black neighborhood when when Spike Lee made, you know, Joe's Bed-Stuy Barbershop. That was just like, do the right thing is set in Bed-Stuy. A uh, little bit of racial tension at the time. And he said to me, he's like, you know, it's really funny. It's only you guys, and he didn't know anything about me in my politics, who talk, he's like, we love, we want cops. Like, we just don't want bad cops. cops bad cops are fucking horrible. But the police come to this neighborhood all the time. Do you see them here all the time? I said, yeah, of course I do. And he said, yes, because we call them. Like, they don't just come, we call them, because shit goes down, we don't want shit going down, there's grandmothers, there's old people, there's people, and he, just random, it was a random conversation on the street. And I was like, oh yeah, I have to forget that life is in Twitter, that college is in Twitter, the people who are screaming and tearing things down and setting them on fire on all sides of the political debate are, do not represent the vast majority of students, the vast majority of people in certain neighborhoods, in certain political parties, whatever it might be. And it's always, you know, the, the distorting effect of social media is something that one has to constantly and vigilantly fight against taking over your brain. Because it gives you a totally insane view of the world. And most people are totally normal. I mean, just normal, broad-minded, will talk to you about, even if they disagree with you. I mean, that's the thing about uh, Laura Bazelon. I'll go to Camille and let you guys talk. Bazelon, I joked, I always call her a commie, because she is, uh, but she worked with Chesa Boudin in the San Francisco DA, who was just recalled, um, and she got mad at me one time, because I, I said, he's the only person I know who have four parents who are terrorists, which is true. <laughs> His biological parents were both in prison for terrorism, and he was adopted by Bill Ayers and Bernadine Dorn, um, who were also arrested for terrorism charges. And she got mad at me, like we have this back and forth. But we were talking the other day and I said, Laura, is it me or is it like, maybe is it generational that the fact that we disagree on everything just has never, ever been an impediment to anything? It's like, I just don't, is it a new thing? And I think it might be, and it might be exacerbated by people constantly sniping at each other online, which is why I've retreated from Twitter and barely, barely tweeting. Well, I, I have things to add, but I want to go to back to you all for a bit. Um, so someone else at random, tell me about your circumstance on campus. Thank you. Um, so I go to Grinnell College, which is a small liberal arts college. It is a red light. It's number 180-something um, in the free speech rankings. Um, I'm kind of all over the map, maybe like social left, whatever. Anyway, um, and... The climate is bad enough that, like, when you talk about, oh, most people are broad-minded, most people are reasonable, I, I, th I think, what? What are you talking about? Yeah, no, <laughs> um, I'm sure. Yeah. Because it's, it's so, like, there isn't, sometimes there's open controversy, but a lot of the time it just seems like there's less of it because everyone has stopped talking. Yes. And 
it's uh it's a really unfortunate really uh concerning situation and uh yeah do, do you know do you know the one thing is that people are often lying too do you ever notice that we get um because of our podcast is like the motto is just like we just don't give a fuck like it's uh, we've stopped caring and people like that and so we have an audience that is really, really in the actual, you know, use of proper use of the word diverse. Um, and so we get so many emails. I know Camille gets a ton of like, hey, like, you get emails and like direct messages that you can tell that people are whispering. Like, hey, you know, <laughs> I listen to the podcast. Like, I totally agree with that. I'm like, what are you fucking, it's like an email. Stop it. They're like, no, just don't tell anybody. We have like, this is no joke and Camille can confirm this. We've had, we have like Hollywood people, like people you guys would all know. Um, you know, actors, musicians, and they don't. So the climate on campus is obviously, it's happened everywhere else too. And there's some people that when I say lying, I've seen them say opposite things in public. And they're just like, I don't want to risk. And I get it. I totally get it. Nobody wants to be on the other end of that. Like, you know, in our case, we, we have like young kids. Like, I want to feed my child. I don't want to, because you want to get run out of your job. I mean, people where I worked were, I think, waiting for me to step on a landmine. I just would not give them the satisfaction. But, and then when I left, it's just all bets were off. So you guys know who I'm talking, the, the people listening, because we're going to put this out, um, who I used to work with, you know who you are. And fuck you. <laughs> sorry, you lost. And I well, think that, <laughs> company's <sorry>. bankrupt. <laughs> yeah, one, of the, one of the things that I find very interesting, I was at a Heterodox Academy uh, conference last summer in Denver, actually, and there was an event, uh, and two people who I revere, really, were on stage giving a talk. And a professor stood up and asked a question. And this professor has uh, a complexion that's a little closer to Moynihan's than mine. And he is, uh, <laughs> he studies... He you studies, guys, I'd love to hear people describe that. He studies... Or Pasty, perhaps, perhaps Irish. <laughs> an expert in jazz music. And his perspective was that this is a discipline that he is perhaps not supposed to be expert in. And that he has perspectives that are, you know, not quite left of center um, and are pretty consistent with mine about issues like social justice, which is to say I'm somewhat skeptical of prevailing um, dominant perspectives on certain kinds of social justice issues. I won't get into the details because I suspect there's some disagreement in, even in the room, which is great. But he felt as though his perspectives being close to mine was a liability for him professionally. And the question he asked is, what should I do working on a campus in an environment where I know that I will be regarded as some sort of pariah if I express these views? And the question that came was, well, do you have tenure yet? The response was no. And the guidance he received was keep your head down, keep quiet. And now that doesn't even matter. Which Princeton University. The thing is, the cat's case there. It, in addition to it yeah. not mattering because you can still get fired, yeah. I think it's terrible advice. And I understand why the advice is given. And I get why what I'm about to tell you is probably going to be regarded as well. It's easy for you to say, mm. but this is kind of dangerous. Sure, maybe a little bit. Probably not as dangerous as you suspect. But it is the case that if you're unwilling to defend your values and if you're unwilling to be a principled person who s supports these things publicly that you believe privately, 
not hard to imagine that those values won't just be under threat, they will be eradicated eventually. Correct. And I really do yeah. think that we have an obligation to learn to defend our values in effective ways. And I, I often talk about this as kind of a SEAL Team 6 sort of approach. The goal isn't so much to, to embody the I don't give a fuck sentiment that Moynihan talked about a moment ago. Some people can yeah, do I had this. to build up. Some people way. can do this. I appreciate it. <laughs> it took me many years I appreciate to not that. give a fuck. Yeah. But I, yeah. I do think you want to get in, you want to rescue the hostage, you want to kill the terrorists, and you want everybody to come out alive. And that means that you may need to be thoughtful and tactical about the ways that you express your perspective and how much of it you let out in particular context. And there's nothing about that that's strange. But what is strange is to completely suppress your views and to completely cede the floor to very loud people who seem to be very authoritative, who seem to be particularly influential, when we know that there's often a veneer of authority that these people possess. And in so many circumstances, one can merely push back a little bit and demonstrate that they actually have the capacity to make a sophisticated argument for the things that they believe. And astonishingly, the, the critics will kind of fade away quietly. Because in a lot of these environments, because they dominate these environments, because they have so much control, they don't actually have the ability to defend their propositions. So you quietly sit by, knowing exactly how to defend yours and don't say anything, and they get to run the table. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think there's something really pernicious about that. So I wonder what that sort of advice, uh, if that rings true to you, if you can, think can it's I, Should I be the one that says easy for you to say? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I, 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 I'm gonna say, I'm gonna call on someone this very brief thing that I'm gonna reveal something that Camille, the, I think it's probably the first time I realized like, okay, we're gonna be friends. We've been friends for many, many, many years. Um, that I can't remember what it was, but it was, <laughs> it was a long time ago. And I was trying to express something that probably was a kind of controversial idea. And he said, you know, well, I, I'll, you know, I'll, I can say it for you. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? Well, it doesn't matter if you say it. And then he gave me an expression that I, has made me laugh ever since. He's like, no, no, I can say it. I have a melanin force field. <laughs> Nobody bothers me. They'll fuck with you, but they're not going to bother me. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get the melon. So it is easy for you to say, and you've made that clear to me yeah. <laughs> a long time but ago. But it's not as though there aren't oh, costs no, associated with yeah, that yeah, sort of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. I've been called every imaginable name and certainly excluded. From no one has been called worse names than you. Yeah, no, probably. it's it's crazy. Yeah, but, it's close. Yeah, but hands. I don't need you to to to, to whine for me. I'm fine. Yeah, we do well. Don't cry for him, Argentina. <laughs> Well, I already have the microphone, so no need for hands. Um, <laughs> Put them down. Good. Good. Um, so my name is Kate Wexel, and I just want to say I definitely agree with what the other students have said. That was some great advice that you gave up there. Um, but if you guys want to know about what the climate is like, it definitely is a scenario where a lot of people feel like they can't speak, uh, regardless of which side of the aisle they come from. And I know I was in high school during 2020 when things started to get really bad. And so mm. I would be the one to speak up in class. And yeah, it's just a handful of people who will come at you. And it's the same people for everybody, except for the ways that these people end up responding becomes incredibly vicious. So I would get death threats just for having an opinion that wasn't theirs. And I'm pretty center myself. Um, and so I thought that that would get better at college. I just transferred to Northwestern from the University of Missouri. And so that is a campus uh, in Missouri that's known for being pretty conservative. And that was definitely not the case. And so I actually have a really 
interesting example for you guys uh, of just the brutal ways that people our age like to attack each other and think is appropriate. And I think that it's become like a psychological situation where people believe that they're being virtuous in trying to destroy other people's Mm -hmm. livelihoods. um, And they're now able to do it through speech. Uh, So back in December, there was a scenario where the Students for Life group on campus, which is a pro-abortion group, regardless of what your opinions are on abortion, um, they had gotten permission from the university that is a public university to Uh, create a demonstration. They put up all of these flags that were supposed to represent aborted babies. And so students were very upset. They started stealing these flags, uh, which is vandalism. And actually the university administrator started giving students permission to steal the flags, which is illegal. However, uh, it went even farther than that because people found out who the social media manager for this student organization was She happened to also be the president of the Turning Point USA chapter on our campus, and she had also happened to be at a conference that Kyle Rittenhouse had attended, and she had taken a picture with him. So all of a sudden, it turned into somebody found a screenshot of her saying something that was not so great from multiple years ago before she'd even started college, used that against her, posted it all over social media. All of a sudden, she has six or seven different... uh, press organizations coming after her, writing articles that after I read them, it was very clear they were defamation. She sued a bunch of them. Um, But these people went so far that they even went after her employer that was an animal rescue facility and tried to get them shut down forever hiring her. So if you want to know what the climate is on campus, that is what it's like. Yeah, Nazi animals. Um, Yeah, that's... I mean, you said something in the beginning, which is, which is right, because, I mean, we all observe this happening. I mean, this happened, and Greg could, could tell me the case where a professor did this at a pro-life table recently and sort of tore up some stuff and, you know, got in a, it probably happens quite a bit, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing that at universities, you have to be... I mean, I'm somebody who's, who's pro-choice, and I would walk by that thing and not bat mine. Because it would be odd for me to think that everybody had the exact same opinion of me all over the world. The, but what you said at the beginning, I think, is right. It is, it is that virtuousness. It is like that sense of moral righteousness, which is the most destructive force. Uh, like in the, it's the most destructive like, force that humans have the capacity to constantly put out there and do it in the most horrible, hideous ways. I mean, always remember that throughout the 20th century, a very bloody one, but not as bloody, according to Steven Pinker, as the previous one, but a very bloody century, you find the people who are pulling triggers don't believe themselves to be bad people. You get that all across the board. They're doing something for the betterment of society. When the Khmer Rouge emptied out Phnom Penh in 1975 and started arresting people with glasses, literally executing people with glasses because they were the intelligentsia, they started and they said, this is what? Does anyone remember they called it? No? Year zero. We're starting again. Everything had been corrupt before. And we're trying to do this from, you know, from from the very, very beginning. We're going to build everything anew. And they believed in the righteousness of their cause. And they believed that the piles of bodies were necessary. And an example of this, there's a historian. I wrote a review of his memoir for the Wall Street Journal a number of years ago. Um, But a communist historian named Eric Hobsbawm very, very popular, very famous in the 20th century. Um, wrote a couple of very good books that I actually enjoyed. Age of Extremes is a good book. But um, he was asked by a journalist named Michael Ignatiev, 
And uh, at the kind of end of his life, he was in his 80s, he said, look, I know you were a supporter of the Bolshevik Revolution. I'm a supporter of communism. If you could go back and, you know, 10, 5, 10 million people died, but you got what you wanted, would it be worth it? And he didn't miss a beat. And he said, absolutely. It's absolutely terrifying that people think this way. But there are little junior commissars on your campus, and they think that they have the moral rectitude that you guys are all missing, and anything is okay in the pursuit of these goals because they have righteousness on their side. That is a terrifying idea. And if you think that yourself, I mean, even if it's about free speech, I mean, I know that I'm right about this, <laughs> but I do entertain people who have opposite views. I'm interested in talking to them. And I suspect that, you know, possibly worth a question of this too, if anybody has, you know, in their mind, some restrictions they think should be placed on speech on campus, I'd be really interested to hear them. I mean, I, I'm, you know, not in a condescending way or let's get in a fight, but that is the problem on campus, is you have a bunch of people who know absolutely nothing. And I'm talking about the professors, not the students. The dumbest people I've ever met in my life are university professors. It's absolutely astonishing how stupid these people can be. Um, no life experience and just these fantasies that they live in. But uh, yeah, I would be interested in that. But I don't know, if Camille, if you had anything to add to No, no. I'm glad they, you're, you're convincing or at least confirming for all of them that they're getting great value for their money. Um, you're all getting fucking robbed. <laughs> you know, right. Except for you, because I know you're getting a little money on the side. <laughs> um, so like in my personal opinion, um, like I go to a school that is it's in all the best, right, in the world. Like it's a pride for my family, my country, or whatever. You yeah. know? And when I got in, I, I did my undergrad here in the U.S. as well. It's so different than what I thought. Like the department, it's extremely you can't challenge the professor the moment you challenge and if it doesn't so you're as a minority you're celebrated as long as you go with the yes. idea that they love you know what I mean and in my counseling program my feeling is that there's this almost like you're less than less therapist, more an activist. That's what they're teaching. Um, we have a course called Diversity and Social Justice. I wonder what the political direction of that course is. <laughs> I just, I'm just going to guess. I don't know. Yeah. Hey, by the way, where are, are, are you from India? Is that no? I'm from Bangladesh. Bangladesh. Okay, yes. I was my second guess, by the way. <laughs> um, and good guess. But it is. It is when you say you're kind of celebrated or cosseted as a minority student, when you go, and I'm actually setting this up because I'm interested to hear Camille talk yeah. about this as somebody who's annoyed people for not having the quote-unquote correct views. Yeah. Um, when you challenge people, is that ever brought up? Like, how, how can you think that as an X person, a person from X or Y background, which yeah. I find to be the most offensive and ludicrous thing on the planet? I'm sure that a lot yeah, of people in Bangladesh have lots of different views on things. Oh, well, yeah. And like, like I thought, like in Bangladesh, like I thought I'm the, you know, like the extreme values and stuff like compared to the majority people, mm -hmm. right? And, but that's not the case here. It's like, yeah, I, it, it is, I am called like, oh, but I thought you're Muslim. Oh, I thought you're immigrant. Oh, I thought you're this and that, you know? Um, and there's, it's like almost feeling like I do not have enough knowledge like I don't know things mm -hmm. um, but yeah 
but that, that's not the point. But the point is that I feel like counseling in general is going in a direction that is very scary. But the, because these are going to be the next generation therapists, and they don't know how to talk with each other, and at least the loud ones who are always like talking in the class. I had students came to me because. I'm very loud and as myself, you <laughs> Good know. Good for you. I yeah, appreciate be- that. because like if nobody says anything, who is going to say it? As you said, somebody has to be there like, no, this is, I think, let's have a discussion. Why don't we talk about it? Um, it's like students came to me and they're, that they're, oh, they're, someone told me, and I cannot name, but they told me that I almost had the same feelings. I wanted to ask a question, but I'm afraid I'm not going to get a recommendation. I want to go get into PhD program. Mm-hmm. Somebody came and said, I feel afraid that me being a white person, I, I will not have any career. Mm-hmm. Somebody came and said, oh, me being a Jewish person, they're going to be like, I am this privileged uh, class. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So it's it's just scary. Like I, I And I did my undergrad here. It's changed suddenly from 20. I felt in my personal opinion in 2021. And then I came here from Midwest to here. It's, yeah. But yeah, if that, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> yeah, if you have any questions. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Yeah, I had a, um, I was actually doing some marriage counseling. My marriage is very healthy and probably not as a result of the counseling. Um, but we were doing some marriage counseling, and I had a great start meeting a with this therapist. <laughs> and my wife and I were doing this. This is in oh shit, I remember summer. This <laughs> yeah, when you can only do this via via Zoom. Um, but there was a great deal of racial justice conversation happening in the culture. And at some point uh, in these sessions, the the therapist discovered, and perhaps she knew and engineered this, that I had these kind of heretical perspectives on racial justice issues. And twice it had come up, but then in one of our one-on-one sessions, um, it became a central issue. And at some point she challenges me and she says, do you think that your inability, something along the lines of your inability to accept the truth about the nature of white privilege and how it affects your life, like might not have something to do with, you know, your some issue with my wife and I, is that a I, loaded question I can't even, <laughs> I can't accept even, the truth i can't even begin <laughs> i can't even begin to tell you like how astonished i was to have this occur but the worst part of it is having to pay for an hour <laughs> that you spent educating someone on the preposterous idiocy of their own political views. Now, granted, it could be that she's right, and I am invested with some sort of deep self-hatred and loathing, and that's the reason why I disagree, or we just disagree on this, because we've arrived at things from different places, and despite the fact that we're both quote-unquote minorities, um, we, again, are permitted to disagree as individuals. Um, So, yeah, I've I've experienced this firsthand in that context as a customer um, or a client, former client, I should say, um, and uh, it's, it's deeply distressing. And I'm grateful that you are saying something on campus. And again, I would hope that for all of you confronted with a similar circumstance, you find ways to be advocates for pluralism in these settings. And, and again, this is very different 
than saying we have to end quote unquote wokeness yeah, yeah, or that we have to yeah, defend yeah. America first principles no, on no, campus. No, this is yeah. very, this is fundamentally different. Yeah. What I want is a universe where a therapist of any background or persuasion or perspective or opinion who agrees on certain kind of fundamentally philosophically neutral modalities for helping patients who are in need. I want them to all be involved yeah. in these professions. I even want the preposterous woman who decided that I was bad because I am more inclined to read certain people as opposed to others. I won't name names. Um, uh, I want her to be able to have her practice as well. And for people who want that kind of therapy to be able to seek it out. Um, but again, know what you're advocating for and advocate for it in a thoughtful, articulate yeah, I just, a, way. I just have a question that what, what do you guys think about what happens when a student do speak up and then you have the department, the institution as like almost like unwritten, like, like uh, systematical way of shutting you down Systemic. and, and oh. then, and then, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then calling you like, Oh, you're a microaggressor or yeah. you're like a racist or for no reason, you know, like just like giving all these titles. Sure. Uh, like, how do you know i totally understand this by the way and the great uh, under hugely underrated australian critic clive james once wrote a review of a book uh called hitler's willing executioners it was a big big book remember this in 1996 it won every prize and it was about how the germans basically engaged in the holocaust because they were all very simply fanatical anti-semites and james said something in this review that always stuck with me and I can't remember the exact phrasing. He's a brilliant writer. And he's very lyrical the way he puts it. But he basically says, you know, heroism is always in really short supply. There's a reason there's not a lot of heroes. You can't expect people to be heroes. And that's on the big level and the small level. Because it takes a bit of heroism in a way to go in there and say, fuck all of you. I'm going to put my career on the line. You've come from Bangladesh. This is not like a, I'm just walking down the street and then I can go to another. I mean, this is a life-changing thing for you. And you go in there and you want to, to, to pull the pin on the grenade and roll it into the room. I understand the reticence, but there's a reason you're all here. There's a reason you're not at Turning Points USA or one of these other dopey organizations. You're at fire because when people say to me, and again, I to you know, go back to this over and over again, you know, fire is this and means that, I just say, look, go to the fire website and do me a favor. Type in site, colon, fire dot, the fire dot org, is it the fire dot org? And then space, and just write the word Palestinian. Tell me what comes back. 50,000 people that, like, Hillel houses who are attacking, you know, say, shutting down these, you know, Palestinian rights organizations. <laughs> this is like, this is not an organization that is political. That's why you're here, because when you speak up, and these people try to come down on you. And by the way, when they do, they always do it in the fucking dumbest ways. When you talk, talk to Laura Bazelon, we were talking um, last night about some of the cases. She'd, and she's like, you wouldn't believe like, how stupid these people are. I mean, just the basic violation of norms when it comes to like, you know, legal proceedings, whatever it might be. They just run right through it because, again, it's their moral righteousness. The thing is that you have these people here. They're the people all around you that are fellow students. There's, I mean, when I was in college, the internet existed. There was people on the internet, but it was not as prevalent and widespread as it now, and you couldn't go and put this stuff online and say, 
you know what? This is what these crazy people are saying in my class. Record it. Put it online. I mean, shame the people. I mean, the thing about this, trying to get people fired is, is always a bad idea for a million reasons, except they do something that, you know, is really, really terrible. But if you allow people to understand what you're going through, you're going to have a lot of people on your side. It's just a very straightforward thing. And also, one final thing is that it, it must be very frustrating um, as a quote-unquote minority. Um, I was talking to somebody here who's Indian-American last night. And I always think it's funny to be called a minority when you come from a country of a billion people. <laughs> Coming like, a minority, okay, all right, fine. Um, fair enough, you're going to give me something great. <laughs> but the flattening of your ideas because of an immutable characteristic is gross, is stupid, and is offensive. Are there people who look a certain way that tend to have, you know, vote a certain way? Yeah, of course. But don't expect it. And when they don't act that way, don't say they're a traitor or that you don't have the right. Absolute lunacy. And this is the type of thing that one should expect to not find in the university, but unfortunately is the thing you find all too often. So, yeah. Uh, to the extent there's any advice, like Moynihan is under, I'll underscore some of the things Moynihan said very briefly. Find other students who agree with you. Make common cause with them. Yeah. Establish some sort of organization on gang. campus. No, not a gang. <laughs> no violence. Yeah. Um, although words are violence. Um, <laughs> have host an event on campus. Sure, if it's possible. Recordings are are interesting. I'd be interested in hearing these recordings if you are able to surreptitiously obtain them and they're uh, shaming themselves. And I do mean that, by the way, only when you're being really brutalized yeah. by somebody, not like yeah. being like a Stasi agent. Yeah. But, but the important thing here is you're being thoughtful and you're being strategic and you're being sophisticated about your advocacy. There's no need to, to, to sort of kamikaze, self-detonate self, uh, uh, or self-immolate um, in order to, to be an advocate. It doesn't require that. Um, I think there are plenty of sophisticated ways to carefully and thoughtfully advance your ideas in a particular context and push things as far as you can go. Mm -hmm. um, but finding other people and having a community of people who at least share this fundamental value and believe that pluralism is yeah. important, that free expression is important and are willing to go to bat for it can be incredibly useful. It's also helpful to have a community of people that can keep you from becoming a reactionary. That is really is important. That's very important. real, tangible. I've concern. been pulled, everybody's been pulled in that direction. And there might be a temptation. We defend the rights of people like Milo Yiannopoulos. Don't, don't line up next to them. I, I mean, that's my own opinion. You can do whatever you want. But I, it's, not, it's never been constructive. It is MMA fighting. It is professional wrestling. It is people enjoy the kind of combat of it. It's very unproductive. My opinion. You can, I'm perfectly happy if people disagree with that, and I'm sure a lot of you do, but the reactionary lure mm -hmm. is always there, and yep. it's really hard to, because it's like, fuck these people, <laughs> they're so insane, and that you want to go to the other, very far in the other direction, and it's, it, yeah. it, you'll always be, hopefully you'll always be pulled back, because I, I understand the instinct, though. And we've got about five more minutes, we which do. means maybe one more person can, can weigh in. 740 people are probably hungry. You, you, you hungry? all got to eat. Yeah. Ooh. I don't know if you can do that. Yeah, you can. Yeah. <laughs> we've been encouraging people uh, to just bulldoze. <laughs> he's got the mic. He's got the mic. You can add it afterwards. Yeah, we'll get you there. Hi, I'm from 
well, I'm from Cuba, and I go to Syracuse University. And it's happened to me like three times so far um, there that I disagree with some professor uh, on, in class, like about any topic, even like non-political topics. And they, they, I feel that the professor is like, from the start, afraid to speak to me because I'm a mi minority. And they're like afraid to offend me, but like to crazy levels, because then when I like, I forget about the conversation, about the disagreement, then I get an email to my, I get an email from the professor saying, hey, I am sorry. I value your opinion. I like <laughs> three times, not this. I, the first amazing. time it happened, the first time it happened, I thought it was like, you know, some super sensible person, but no. Three, no, it's a three different professors. Yeah. Like, they're so afraid of the students that they not even, they, they cannot talk. And like, I've, like, whenever I receive one of those emails, I feel so sorry for them because someday I want to be a professor. Yeah. But I don't know if I want to be that kind of professor, you know? Yeah. You shouldn't. Yeah. Don't do that. And, yeah. like, <laughs> so I get these emails and I have to write a long email back to them saying, listen, I'm a human being just like you, you know? I believe in free speech. You can tell me whatever you want. You can say I'm stupid if you want. <laughs> I will not get offended because that's your opinion. Do you know? So. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Never be, su never be surprised when it's the Cuban that values free speech. <laughs> Go ahead. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and those are the liberal professors. So imagine how a conservative professor yeah, should yeah, be sure, feeling. Sure. No, I That's mean, that, I it's a really, really, really important point. And I used to say this at my job, that the uh, teachers were afraid of the pupils. I mean, there were people that told me things privately and then would have these Zoom meetings, like during COVID, talking to a staff of like restive, like young journalists and say things that I know they didn't believe, like constantly. And they were terrified. I'll give you an example of this, um, which, you, you know, is outside of the university, but it's a very similar thing, is that Vice Magazine used to be interesting a long time ago and quite risque. Like when I started there, it was like a pretty, pretty <laughs> crazy magazine. And so we had the covers all over the wall. I've never told this story, by the way. Covers were all in the, in the um, lobby of the building. And if you look at these covers, there, there can be some pretty kind of dirty covers. I mean, not like, you could put them on a newsstand, but you know, they're suggestive. Um, around, there was a kind of a story in the New York Times about Vice and kind of a Me Too thing, and they had a meeting and it said, you have to take the magazines down from the, from the lobby. It's like, these are why you're here. This is why we became successful. This is why we have lots of money. And they said, no, 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 They're, one of them is taken by Terry Richardson, the photographer who's been, you know, was Me Too'd and kind of a sleazeball. And then there's women and various things. We, we don't like it. They took him down. Took him down. And I said to him, why did you do that? And he looked at me with this kind of sheepish, depressed look, and he said, what was I supposed to do? Like, I can't afford to have a revolt amongst the staff. It's not worth it. The professors, people who own businesses, people who are managers, people who are your editors, it's just not worth it. And it's like, you just do the math on it, and you're like, all right, he moved them into his office. So the magazines were in his office. They weren't disappeared, so you could kind of rationalize it. Um, but, you know, and by the way, and, and to your point, 
I became a fanatical uh, obsessive about Cuban politics because of the university. Because I couldn't find anyone that thought the Castro should maybe allow an election. Right? They, people would thought incredible healthcare. And I, used, I remember making a point one time, and I remember the professor's name. He was saying this, you know, literacy rate is fantastic, wonderful. You've heard this, I'm sure. Cubans, great literacy rate. And so I responded and said, well, you know, the literacy rate in 1959 was actually higher than Spain and Italy, very high to begin with. But what is the fucking point of having a high literacy rate if you can't read what you want to read? What is the point? Can you go get 1984 out of a bookstore? No, you can't. I don't give a fuck. I don't want to know how to read if there's nothing to read but Castro's turgid speeches. And the, they were like, nah, 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 healthcare is great. Like, I could not find anyone. I mean, it's not a political monoculture in a way that everybody's sort of like, yeah, we like, you know, Hillary or something. I was amongst people that were, had really bad ideas. Like, really, really. The entire 20th century existed to prove their ideas wrong. And they were just telling me, no, 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 no. It's, who are you going to believe? You know, history or your lion eyes? You know, it's, it was bizarre. But you're, I, you're right about that. It is that people are very, very afraid to say things, and they'll say it later to you. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's 7.45. There's food outside, so you get to eat. I just want to say, um, perhaps on behalf of Moynihan, um, I am exceptionally grateful to have had the opportunity to break bread with you all and chat for a bit. Yeah. Um, I, I, again, would implore you, understand your values, have yes. a sophisticated understanding of them, and be prepared to defend them in whatever context is necessary. Yeah. I don't mind coming to universities to give talks and to have debates, et cetera, et cetera. I'm very happy to have people subscribe to the podcast. I would be even happier to know that people feel empowered to be advocates for their ideals on their campuses. I don't know that most of you will become lawyers. In fact, I hope you won't. Yeah. In whatever field you go Good into, Lord, we don't need that. I hope that you'll carry the same values yeah. and the same esteem for free expression and a, and a, ser- a serious understanding um, of just what it means to live in a free society and what, what is required to maintain it. Mm. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Um, yeah. Kudos to you for being here. And thank you again to Greg and the entire team at Fire. This is remarkable stuff. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Get a mic drop. You both made your bed and now you're going to have to sleep there. Old man blues is going to try to find you everywhere Don't look back. Well, You better not look Don't now look back. Or he'll catch you Don't look back. You gotta keep running Running till the end of time Oh yeah If you both have faith you'll find A sunny day Don't be bothered by what's People got some strange ideas on how life should be lived and things should be done. But I'm here to 
say you gotta do just what you want. And when that starts. 